Morning, everybody. How are we? Oh, there's at least four people awake. Great. <laughs> uh, so if you're new here, welcome. My name's Scotty, and I'm the, the newer pastor here, I guess is, is how I'll say that. Um, if you're watching at home, I just want to let you know, you probably saw on, uh, on Facebook and other things, uh, Carl and Ron, if you when you see them doing their thing, please give them a pat on the back. They've been doing a lot of work in the background to get an upgrade to our AV stuff so that when you have to watch from home, it's a lot better than Charlie Chapman, like, jerkiness on the screen. So um, thanks, guys, for doing that. Um, so that's, that's coming, and that's very exciting. There's a few more changes going to be in the works, um, which, which is great. Um, so, yeah, we're in this season as a church. So this is a new season for us. Um, and, and God has uh, set this system in place now where we're trying to re-envision who we are as a church and where we're going. What does it look like for Alliance Bible Church to be more effective at reaching the community that's round about us? Um, and so we've started this series called Sent, where we're looking at the book of Acts and we're doing it for a purpose. Um, there's there's kind of two things to, to keep in mind as we're going through this series. The first one, my hope in this series is as we look at the earth early church in Acts, and we look at what Acts teaches, will recover something of the, the commission that we've been given to, to re-grasp that as Christians we are primarily sent people, and that we'd recover that idea of being sent. Um, and along with that, as we're re-envisioning what this church looks like, where we go, how we reach the people around about us, um, that we'll look back at the early church and as, as they start this, this fledgling church right at the beginning, as they begin the work that God has for them, we can look at them, uh, at what the Spirit did, what they were doing, what God was doing in that moment, and, and what the vision and the mission was that they were sent into the world with, and allow that to help shape how we understand who we are as the church and what our mission is in the world around about us. So we started this uh, series last week, so if you want to go get the, the kind of intro message, you can look uh, at last week's message, but we're going to jump into Acts chapter 2 this week. Um, and, and with this week's message, we're not going to do the whole uh, chapter this week. I, I kind of I debated, um, but there's so much good stuff in here, we're going to split it in two. So, so we're going to do it the way preachers like to do it. We're going to do two-thirds this week and two-thirds next week, because that makes a whole chapter, right? Um, so we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. Um, so if you have your Bible open to uh, Acts chapter 2, we'll start in verse 1. And let me read this, and then we'll jump in and see what God wants to say to our church today. Um, so Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Does that include America? When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that each of them hears, us, uh, in, hears them in our own native language? 
Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowds, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross." But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep hold of him. Fast forward to verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Man, <laughs> does that not get you excited? I just want to like burst in cheers and applause like the Spirit fell on the church as God had promised. So I want to work back through this passage and, and just look at it. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for this next season of this church? What does this passage speak about the mission that God has given us? So the first thing I want to say is, is just what we see right here. God promised to pour out his spirit. So, so number one, God promised to pour out his spirit. We see it in the context. Peter's going to explain it. But if we jump back to Acts chapter 1 and just remember what's happened in the story. So, so just remember, we've got Luke's gospel. Luke wrote Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel says that he's going to begin to explain everything that Jesus did and taught. And so you walk through Luke's gospel and you get this story of what Jesus did empowered by the Spirit as he walked on the earth. And then Acts is Luke part two, where he's explaining how Jesus' work gets continued as we begin to see all that Jesus continued to do and teach, but now through the church as it's sent out into the world. So look back at the beginning of Acts as, as we see how this story began in Luke part two. So it says in Acts chapter 1, on one occasion while Jesus was eating with them, this is after he's died and been raised, on one occasion while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this commission, this promise was given that this church was going to carry the message of Jesus from Jerusalem to the towns round about and expand over the face of the earth. And there was a promise that in order for this mission to be accomplished, God was going to pour out the source of power that would enable, would enable them to do that. So th the side note with this is, as we're sitting here, surrounded by people that don't know Jesus, and we're asking the question, how on earth do we take the gospel to the people around us? How do we share the gospel with family members that have rejected them? How do we share the gospel with our neighbors that want nothing to do with them? How do we share the gospel in such a way that Hillsborough and Portland come to know Jesus we're fully dependent on the power of the Spirit that God has given us to be able to carry that message to them. So this was the promise. God promised that he would pour out that Spirit. And as you saw at the end of the part that we read, uh, when Peter gets up to start preaching, he's like, no, this isn't just something that Jesus promised. This is the fulfillment of what the prophets were saying. And he goes back to cite Joel and say that God had promised through Joel that the Spirit was going to be poured out on all people. So if God said the Spirit was going to be poured out on all people, and Jesus says, wait, because I'm going to send the Spirit to be poured out on you, what is Jesus inferring in his statement? He's like, look, I'm the one that sends the Spirit. I'm the God that does this. Um, so God promised that he would send the Spirit. He said it, it, it's, it's a theme all through Scripture, all through the Old Testament. It climaxes in this moment where Jesus promises it. And then we walk into this part of the story. Jesus has promised in Acts 1 that it's going to come. And then the next thing that happens is he says, he says to them, go wait in Jerusalem for this thing that I'm going to send. So as this part of the story is happening, Jesus has promised, Jesus has left, and now they're waiting. Um, so the disciples are obeying. So they waited for God to do what he'd said. Um, so here they are in Jerusalem. Jesus is gone. He's not coming back, the, the, like, right now. He's coming back later. We know that. Um, he's not coming back right now, and they're just waiting. And they're just hanging around, and, and, and they're waiting on God doing the thing that he promised. Now, now, again, these things, I'm just like, I get so excited about this stuff when I'm thinking about what it means for the church. Like, the, the, the early church, Jesus has left. They have no idea what to do, but one instruction, just wait for the Spirit, and I'm going to pour it out. And so they get together and they wait. They waited for God to do what he had promised. And, 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 and Peter's explaining that this is a promise that was given uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that they're still waiting for it to be fulfilled. So, so this is the job of the church today. As we're looking at what is God going to do in our area, in our neighborhood, in our city, we wait for God to do what he's promised. This is, this is a statement of faith that our actions say God has promised these things in Scripture. We read them, we see them. We're going to wait, and we're going to hope, and we're going to trust for God to do these very things that he said. Um, so, so what does it look like for us as a church to wait on God doing what he's, what he's said? Now, now, this church has been around for almost 50 years. You've been waiting for 50 years to, to see the things happen here that, that you believe God wants to have happen. We've we got to keep waiting um, but waiting in Scripture is never passive. 
That's the thing that, that we've got to remember. Waiting is never passive. So he says to the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until I send this power that's going to make you witnesses to the ends of the earth. What does it say in Acts 1? The apostles returned to Jerusalem. So they walk from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. When they arrive, they go upstairs to the room where they're staying. They all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they didn't just like all scatter to wherever they wanted to go and just sit around going, one of these days God's going to pour out his spirit and the mission's going to get started. They got together and they started praying. They were united in one heart and one mind, calling out to God together, do the thing that you've said. Where's this power? I'm pretty sure by the time we get to Acts chapter 2, and Peter bursts out in this declaration um, from Joel and from, from Psalm 16 and from Psalm 110, all of these truths, I'm pretty sure in this season he was pouring over Scripture. I'm pretty sure they're going back going, what is this power that Jesus says that is coming? And they're going back and looking at the prophets and seeing. So this is a season of digging into truth. It's a season of, of joining together in unity. It's a season of, of sitting in prayer, calling on God to move. And then we know what happens. He does. Uh, so we're in this season. We are waiting for God to do what he said. Are you waiting actively or passively? As you think about what you, let, let's individualize it a little bit. As you think about what you want to see God do in your life, the, the identity that you want to walk in as his child, the lies that you want to shed that plague you, the fear that stops you being able to do what God wants you to do, the sin that has you bound, the, the desire to go and to serve and to minister. As you think about those things that you want, are you waiting for them actively or pa passively? Are we sitting back going, at some point, we'll get there. Or are you doing what these guys did? You're digging into the truth. You're gathering with believers. You're sitting actively and constantly in prayer, waiting on God to pour out his spirit to move. Let's be a church that waits actively for the move of God. Waiting is not passive. So then we jump into Acts chapter 2. That was all the preface. See, I'm like, hold on. So Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. You know, I, I debated doing this. I almost gave Eric a recording of like wind in the Columbia River Gorge as it's blowing 130 miles an hour down the gorge and the noise. The, right? You, you've been in it. You've been out there when the winds are crazy. You've been up on mountains or standing there and the wind comes and you're almost blown over. Can you imagine we're sitting here and you hear the noise, but there's no wind? That would be like trippy. <laughs> You'd be looking outside going, hey, what's going on here? So this moment, they're sitting there all of a sudden as they're gathered and praying, suddenly out of nowhere, this sound comes. And uh, let me keep going. 
There's this blowing of the violent wind where they're sitting. Then it says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So you know by now the way I like to do this. There's words that when you read them should just send your mind whizzing back to other parts of Scripture, like wind and fire as symbols and movements of God. Where do we see? Like you go all the way back to Genesis where there's the flood, and, and it tells us that God sends this wind and it causes the waters to recede. So this moment of judgment that happened on the world transformed by this blowing wind. Um, you can think about, um, well, let, let's not do, I'm going to do them side by side because I'm going to go chronologically. But, but I mean, you get to uh, what Exodus 19 uh, and, and Moses has gone up the mountain to receive the law. What does it describe when Moses goes up the mountain? It says he goes up the mountain to receive the law, and it says fire descends on Mount Sinai, and this big cloud appears, and everyone's terrified, and Moses has to walk into the middle of it. Uh, Oh, I skipped one, didn't I? Exodus 3, Moses with the burning bush. As this fire appears that lands on this bush, it doesn't consume the bush, but it's there. Very similar image to this. They didn't get burned up, but this fire appears. You go on and you think about places like the Red Sea, as they're standing sandwiched between the water in front and and the Egyptian army behind it, it says God sends this wind that blows and parts the sea so that there's walls of water on each side of them. You go forward to perhaps one of the most famous ones, Elijah on Mount Carmel. And he's up at the top and he's kind of in this depressed state. And it says all of a sudden that there's, there's this occurrence. There's this violent wind starts blowing and God's not in the wind. And then there's an earthquake and God's not in the earthquake. And then there's this fire appears and God's not in the fire. But then there's this gentle whisper where he encounters God. So, so these images of, of wind and fire are central to Scripture the wind that, that moves and is unpredictable, the fire that equally is unpredictable, that, that in many times in Scripture represents either a sense of calling or a purification and a refining. So you get this moment where this wind, this unpredictable movement of God comes as it calls and purifies the church ready for their mission. All of it happens suddenly. You know, God often moves suddenly. When it comes to thinking about the work of the Spirit, there's two elements to it. The Spirit indwells us and does a slow, steady work in us of transforming us into the image of Jesus. But then probably that's the part that we don't really notice, right? Like the Spirit's changing you and you're like, I don't feel any different today. But when you look back on your life, like a year, two years, five years, you see the difference in your life. But then there are these moments where God moves suddenly where you're listening to a sermon and all of a sudden something unlocks in your mind and you realize a truth that you never understood before. you're, You're out and about and you see someone that's broken and God does something suddenly in your heart that breaks you for someone else. Um, In the church, we need both. (laughs) We need the slow, steady work of the Spirit in our lives, but we are desperate for these sudden moves of God as He brings revelation to us, as He breaks our heart, as He pours out the empowerment we need to reach the people round about us. And God often moves suddenly. The question is, if God was to move suddenly, are you ready for it? Because when God moves suddenly, it's usually more like the wind. It's unpredictable. It can be scary. It knocks us out of what's comfortable. 
Um, are you ready for that? Are you ready to be uncomfortable? Are you ready for God to move out of his slow, steady work and just come and kind of pick you up and shake you, spin you around a few times and send you out? Um, that's what I'm praying. <laughs> so if you don't like it, I'm sorry. I'll apologize just now. <laughs> um, but we want to see these movements of God as he pours on our church calling people to serve him in new ways, giving us revelation that transforms the way that we think, breaking our hearts for new people, for new ministries, for new ways of being in the world, and then sending us to the ends of the earth to be his agents. Um, I wrote up here, the Spirit is a free agent. We tend to get into these places in the church where we, I mean, we use the language, we put God in a box. I think we can be really bad at putting the Holy Spirit in a box. And we, we have an idea in mind of what the, the movement of the Holy Spirit looks like, and then we say, that's it. I've studied the Bible, I've got my theology, I've examined my life experiences, I've talked to my friends, and I know who the Holy Spirit is, and I know how to get him to move. <laughs> is it just me? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> The, the, the Spirit is a free agent. He's unpredictable. He moves in ways that we don't expect, at times that we don't expect. And so I want us to be a church that's poised for that, that we're waiting expectantly for these movements of God, and we give him the freedom here to do what he wants to do. Man, if God wants to show up right now, <laughs> come on. If God wants to slowly work in us, come on. Like, let's, let's allow him the freedom to do what Scripture describes him as doing, calling, revealing, and empowering the church. The last part in this little part of the passage, the opening part that I want to draw attention to, is it says, you know, this is happening when Pentecost came. Like, what is Pentecost? When is it? Why is it significant? So Pentecost is this moment, it's the 50th day after Passover, and remember that Passover is this massive, important festival in Israel. So families come together to, to, to celebrate this Passover moment where God rescued them, um, where, where the blood of the Lamb saved their children um, from the judgment of God. Such a beautiful image. So they've gathered for Passover. Fifty days after Passover begins the Feast of Weeks. And, and this is a moment, um, it, it's the wheat harvest. And so the Feast of Weeks was, was kind of like a harvest festival where people would come from all over the land of Israel to bring like the presentation of their wheat harvest to the Lord. And this is important because here you are in Jerusalem, you've just had Passover where they've remembered what Jesus has done, not what Jesus has done, what God did at the time of Moses as he rescued them out of, of Israel. And then everyone disperses and goes back to home and then 50 days later, they all come back to give this presentation to God. So you've got Jews from all over the known world at the time making their way to Jerusalem to be able to present this harvest offering. So when they start talking about what's going to happen with all of the people that are here, this context is setting up. And you've got these parallels. So you've got Passover, where you've got the rescuing and deliverance of, of Israel out of Egypt. And then 50 days later, this harvesting moment. And, and, and then Jesus is reinterpreting all of this for us, that the Passover is, is ultimately fulfilled in him. 
that he's the one who rescues us out of our slavery and brings us into the promises of God. And then 50 days later, what does he do? He enacts a harvest. He pours out his spirit. You know, like he taught, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few, so ask God to send out laborers into the harvest field. What's he doing right now? He's pouring out the spirit to make them witnesses to the end of the earth. He's sending out the laborers into the harvest field. You want to be an effective laborer in the harvest field? You've got to ask God to pour out his spirit afresh in your life, to reawaken you to his truth, to give you a fresh hunger for, for seeing his kingdom here, to give you a new brokenness for the lost out there so that we can participate with him in this harvest. Um, the, the other part that's, that's just interesting in, 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 in this kind of significance of this event is Pentecost and, and the Feast of Weeks also kind of a little bit later came to be the service that, that was celebrated um, and they would celebrate the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So the Feast of Weeks had, had two purposes, bringing in the harvest and then these joyous celebrations where they'd take God's word, the, the Torah scrolls, and they'd parade them around the towns and they'd sing and dance before it and celebrate that God had given the law to Moses. So here, at this moment, the Spirit's fallen out. It's symbolic of the harvest that's been called. It's also this moment where they're celebrating the moment God gave the law on Sinai and poured out his word in a way that would mark Israel as a different people from the rest of the world and that would govern what it looked like to be part of his people. So now, at that same time, in that same occasion, all of a sudden, he pours out his Spirit and he's saying, something new is happening. You're not governed by the law being poured out, dictating how you live. It's now about the Spirit being poured out, dictating and marking the church and dictating what it is that you're supposed to look like. And the Spirit now becomes the agent that, that takes place of the law to determine what needs to happen and what it needs to look like. It's why in the Old Testament, under the law, priests have to be a certain age they have to be male. They have to be from Israel. They're the only ones allowed to minister God's truth to the people. All of a sudden, the Spirit falls. It's no longer the law that dictates your ability to teach God's Word. It's no longer the Spirit that says you have the ability to go or not. It's, it's now no longer the Spirit that says you're the one that can mediate His presence to others. It's no longer the law that says you're the one that can mediate His presence. It's the Spirit that says, I pour my Spirit on you. Now go speak my Word. I pour my spirit in you now. Go and do it. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, old or young. And, and we're going to get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. I get too excited. Oh, sorry. Monica said, slow down next week. Slow down. <laughs> I'm failing miserably. <laughs> um, so let me look at um, just, just four ways that you see the Spirit move in here that, that have implications for us and the mission that we're engaged in in the world today. So the first one, as he pours out the Spirit on the people, this is simple, the Spirit empowers the mission, right? He said, I'm going to give you this power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He doesn't say, I'll give you my power and some of you might be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. He's like, I'm going to pour out my, my spirit and you will be. This power that comes is what makes us able to carry out the mission. And the, these, these moments, it's like, this is Bible 101, right? 
God gives us the Spirit to empower his mission. But the reality is, we know that simple truth, and yet it's not the way we live our faith, right? If I can sit in a class and learn some evangelism tools, now I can go do evangelism. If I go to seminary and I get a theology degree, now I can be a pastor, right? If I have a calling moment uh, and I go on a training school with a mission agency, now I can go do mission out there. And when it comes to the ability to minister to the people around me, that's the pastor's job or the leader's job. That's not my job. Um, and, then, and then we rely on the patterns we've seen. We look at other churches and, oh, it's working over there. Purpose-driven life worked for, for, for Saddleback, so let's all do purpose-driven life because that's the way to get people into it. Those tools are all awesome. The training is essential. Um, but, but we so easily begin to, to think that it's us and our methods and our vision and our way of doing it that empowers the mission. And we lose sight of the fact that if we really want to do what God wants us to do, the Spirit empowers the mission. So if we want to reach our neighbors, I'm going to keep saying this, if we want to reach the people around about us, if you want to see your family come to Jesus, you need to constantly be waiting and asking God to fill you afresh with his Spirit and asking him to fill them afresh with his Spirit so that his Word can go forward and do what it's supposed to do. So that's number one. Number two, similar, the Spirit compels the mission. So if you're looking at the passage, the the Spirit compels. All of a sudden, the Spirit falls them, and it says they just burst out declaring the words of God in, in other tongues. So the Spirit falls on them, and the Spirit causes them to erupt in praise. As you go on and, and, and you're looking at Peter, this moment happens, people are asking questions, are they drunk? What on earth's going on? He's like, not this early in the morning, give us some credit. Uh, and, and he, but then all of a sudden it says Peter stands up and out of nowhere starts declaring this amazing sermon that draws on all of these Old Testament prophecies. The Spirit compels Peter to stand up. And then as we're going to see through the rest of the, the story, the rest of the book of Acts, are all of these moments where the Spirit compels people to go over here. The, the Spirit picks someone up, Philip, just picks them up and dumps them down next to an Ethiopian eunuch. The Spirit is the one driving the mission of God. So as soon as we're the ones driving the mission of God, it's going to fail. But as long as we can posture ourselves to sit behind the Spirit and allow Him to compel the mission, God's going to be able to do what God wants to do. Um, the third one, the Spirit overcomes limitations. This is, this is probably my favorite part of this passage, so, so forgive me in advance. <laughs> so it says, you know, there's they were staying in Jerusalem. This is starting in verse 5. They were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So all of these people from different parts of the known world at that time are here. Um, and it says, the, when they heard the sound, a crowd comes together. They hear the sound of the wind, and then they hear all these people talking. They're like, what's going on? Um, they're in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And they're going, aren't these people Galileans who were known for, for being like not the most educated people on the planet? Um, and they're going, how can all of these people be speaking in our languages? And not just, not just the big languages, but our native language, our heart languages. They're speaking a local dialects. They're speaking. And then it goes on to list the types of people. So what are the nations? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. You've got Egypt. You've got Libya. You've got Cyrene. You've got Rome. You've got Crete. You've got Arabs. All of these 
these people are standing as this group of people starts bursting out in praise. And they're going, what's going on? We can hear them all speaking our language. What the heck? Okay, let, let's, let's give the onlookers just a little bit of credit here. If we all started speaking, like if, you, if, if we just all started speaking in different languages right now, if I just start speaking and you don't understand a word I'm saying, right? I'm Darth Vader. I'm drunk, right? <laughs> so we'll give them a little bit of credit. The noise and the rabble and the, the, the incoherence of what these people are doing and the suddenness of it is like a total drunken moment. But, but here's what I love about this part of the passage. You've got all of these people from all of these different areas. At this point in the passage, um, we're doing Jews, we're doing Judea, Samaria, and we're doing the ends of the earth. So Acts is set up where it's, you're looking at the gospel going to the Jewish nation, you're looking at the gospel spreading to, to Judea and Samaria, and then the last part of the book is it going to the known world. So, so Luke here is starting to show us the setup for this. So the passage is really clear. These are Jews and Jewish converts. So this is Jewish people that are listening. There are Jewish people that have been dispersed all over the known world, people that know the law, that understand the commands and the promises of God, that have been waiting for the Messiah, that God has already spread around the world to be able to receive the gospel, understand its context, understand who Jesus is, and translate it into the language of the people groups they're at. Is that not just amazing? So here, all of these people at this festival have come together. It just happens to be the festival that represents when the law was given. It just happens to be this moment that, 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 that coordinates with all of these historic events. It's like this exciting moment. So they're all there. All, so this language limitation all of a sudden is overcome. All of these people, different languages, hearing words spoken in their tongue, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little me story and then, and then jump back into this but. You know the question, like, if you could have any superpower, what would your superpower be, right? How many people in here want to fly? Okay, there's at least one flyer. All right. Anyone want the supernatural ability to heal? A couple of people. Anyone really want to be invisible? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, for me, my whole life, and I don't really know why. Well, I do know why, but I don't know why. I always wanted the ability to speak every language. And I think because God's wired me to communicate, I was like, I just wish I could walk up to anybody, regardless of what language they speak, and speak any language. Could you imagine the Spirit had the ability for me to speak in every language to understand what I said? And me to be able to understand what every other person says. This is why this is so cool. Genesis 11. There's this moment God has given at the beginning the command, go forth, like sub fill the earth and subdue it. So the people, and Adam and Eve are supposed to go out, spread across the world and, and establish God's kingdom through the entire world. Uh, and so they're supposed to spread. And this moment in Genesis 11 happens where all of the people, they speak one language and they've decided, let's just stay together. Let's not do what God said. Let's, let's not spread it across the world. Let's just stay here. And look at how amazing we are. So let's build this giant tower and we're gonna see if we can climb up to God. And God's like, that ain't happening. <laughs> and so he's like, I, he, he doesn't say I'm gonna strike you down. He says, I'm gonna intervene to help you accomplish your mission. And so he scrambles their languages 
And because they can no longer communicate to, to each other, they spread out based on their, their languages and start doing what God had asked them to do in a broader area. So you have this moment where God scrambles the language so that people can fulfill the mission that he gave them. And then in this moment, the Spirit falls and unscrambles the language. Do you see that? One person speaks as God gives them utterance, and all of these people are hearing different languages being spoken. I think this is a foretaste of what heaven will be like. I can't really give you, um, I can't really give you good biblical theology to support this, right? But when you get to Revelation 9, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So the picture of Revelation is not all of these people from every tribe and nation with one tongue. It says every nation, every tribe, every language. So I'm like, God's not going to send us all to heaven and have everyone speaking in English, right? You realize that? We're not going to get to heaven and suddenly be downloaded with Hebrew or Aramaic. I fully believe that in heaven, every language will be spoken. And I have this moment where, where, where you look at this and, and what's going on in this moment is a foretaste of what's to come. God is transcending the, the, the language barrier. He's overcoming that limit that's been established so that people can come together in declaring the praise of God. So just imagine you're sitting in heaven, the person next to you is speaking Arabic, this person's speaking Nigerian, this one's speaking Telugu, this one's speaking Hindi, this one's speaking Spanish, we're speaking English, this guy over here's speaking Scottish, super weird. Um, <laughs> and everybody is declaring the praise of God, right? We have a limited number of adjectives we can use to describe God in English. Now take all of the words that you can use in Spanish, all of the words you can take in Arabic, all of the words you can take in Nigerian, and Ibu, and Hindi, and Telugu, and then have all of those people declaring God's word together. And then just imagine for a moment the Spirit had the ability in you to allow you to understand every word that was spoken by every language as you praise God together. I think this is a picture of what God is doing as he overcomes the limitations and transcends barriers. And that's why this mission is not just go out into Hillsborough and reach white people. It's go out and reach every tribal group, every language, every subculture. Because the more of us come together, the more God gets glorified and the more we get the expression of who he is. The last part, the Spirit transcends barriers. So he overcomes the, the language limitations, but he transcends all the barriers. He says that the Joel passage, we're going to look at, at Peter's uh, sermon more next week, but, but, but what does he say in that passage? In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. So he's hinting, not just Jews, but Gentiles too. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. This is no longer just the men that can do it. The women will be able to do it too. Your young men will see visions, and the old men will, will dream dreams. There was an age you couldn't be part of the, the priesthood if you were too young, and then when you hit 55, you were out, right? So this is the, the young ones, the old ones, even the servants, not just the in people, the servants, men and women. I'm going to pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. So I'm going to pour out my spirit. What was prophecy in the Old Testament? It was revelation from God to help communicate the mission 
of, of, of expanding his kingdom throughout all of the world. It, it was all nations being blessed through Abraham. Um, and these revelations that called people back to the heart of God and sent them out equipped. So he's saying everybody is now going to have the ability. You're going to have the ability to hear what God wants you to speak to the people around about you. He's going to empower you to go. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter your gender. Believe it or not, if it doesn't matter your gender, does that mean someone who's confused about their gender also has the ability to be used by God and sent out in the world? There's some, there's some things they, they've got to wrestle with and deal with, but every person can be used by God if they submit themselves to him, if they fix their eyes on him, if they plead for his spirit and go out into the world. It doesn't matter what our brokenness is, what our issues are, what our mess is, God can use us as, as if, if we'll go. So the spirit descended and the church arose. The spirit descended, the church arose. So, so I mean, this is, this is my passion, like arise church. Like you have the spirit of God. You are his person. You have the spirit of God. So arise. Let's not sit and stick our head in the scriptures and ignore the world around us. Arise with the words of God. Arise in the power of the Spirit. Arise in prayer. Arise in worship. Arise in creativity. Arise with vision to go. The Spirit descended. The church arose. So here's how I want to end. Um, I just want us to have a, a simple prayer. Dave and the band are going to come up and, and lead us in uh, a final uh, worship song or two. Um, but I just want to pray and take a moment to wait because God said, wait on my power, and I will make you my witness. So, so there's a little prayer here. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me. Come, Holy Spirit, fill our church, the church. I just want you to sit and open your hands, right? I want you to think about your life. How on fire for the mission of God are you? How active are you at sharing the gospel with people around about you? How confident do you feel? that God can work through you. And we'll just take a couple of minutes to wait and say, God, fill us afresh again with your spirit. Like we've got the slow, steady work of the Lord in us. But just say, God, I want to be revived. Refresh my calling. Refresh my gifting. Uh, and, and refresh my heart for the people out there. So let's just take a moment as the band uh, just play a little bit. And let's pray this prayer and see what God does in our midst.
I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord Holy Spirit you are welcome here come flood this place and fill the Your glory, God, is what our hearts long. 
to be overcome by your presence. 